It's so good to be with you. My name is Chad Poe. I live south of Houston, and I've had the privilege of being a friend of Corey's for years uh, through various events that we've been able to do together. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to open those to Micah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Honestly, I'm just glad you're still here since Dr. Bruce dismissed you three times. Uh, (laughs) Micah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. This is the Old Testament equivalent of our theme passage for the weekend. The theme passage for the weekend comes from the great commandment where Jesus says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second commandment is this, Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus has been pointing toward this. Because the entirety of the scripture points that God's people would live in this way. And when we visit in Micah chapter 6, we notice that this passage is taking us in that direction. More than likely, you have made a resolution. I know in the state of Alabama, you don't start working through your resolutions until after you win your national championship. I'm a Tennessee fan. I feel the same way. That's why I have not started working on mine since 1998. It's been a rough majority of my life. (laughs) Resolutions are interesting. Do you realize that the resolutions that we make are, uh, they're never fun. Let me give you some examples. Uh, 47% of people uh, committed to exercise more. 32% of people committed to save more money. Uh, Other popular ones are to get more sleep. Anybody in the room going to get more sleep? Uh, spend more time with your family, learn a new skill, lose weight, quit smoking, to resolve, to make a promise. No one ever resolves to do things like eat more cake, to go to the spa more, to watch more Netflix. That, that never happens. Our resolutions are always tied to us advancing. My resolution for 2020, um, it came when I realized that for Christmas of 2019, all that I got was gift cards and and pajama pants. And I said, I've got to do something, anything, uh, anything that involves movement. So I committed that I would exercise more in 2020. That started in March. It took a pandemic to shut me down enough to say, okay, you should go to a trail. Uh, So I go and I walk this college trail every single day, three miles. That's an intentional three miles where I don't just walk. I I do this weird thing. I walk, shuffle, and then I sprint. Like I got to build momentum so I can move like walk, shuffle, sprint, walk, shuffle, sprint over and over. And when you're in the same place every single day, walking, shuffling, and sprinting, you'll run into people. You get to know people and they realize that's just your pattern. You walk, shuffle, sprint. Does anyone else exercise like this? Just me. Walk, shuffle, sprint. Great. This past summer, I was in Talladega, Alabama. You more than likely have been there to a NASCAR race or Baptist Mecca, which is Shaco Springs. And when you go, when you go there, you notice that you're not there on your college trail. You're not there on your three-mile limit. You're in a different place altogether. And so I begin to do my walk, shuffle, sprint pattern around the campus of Shaco Springs. As I'm walking, shuffling, and sprinting, I get about two and a half miles in to the pattern that I do every single day. And I have three trucks and two golf carts offer to give me a ride. 
they thought this chubby man is dying here on our... We need to get him to a hospital. And I do not want to die at a hospital in Talladega, Alabama. If I'm being truthful with you. To make a resolution to promise that you're going to do something. 75% of us are good for a week. By July, that drops to 46%. Last year, 28% of people claimed to have kept at least one resolution for the entirety of the year. 100% of those people are lying. (laughs) God looks at the nation of Israel and Micah and, and there's a situation. They are looking at who they are in light of who God is. And they're saying, what do we need to change? What do we need to do differently? What do we need to do that is new? What is the thing that we should do? And it closes with a verse that you more than likely have memorized. That he has told you, oh man, what is good. That you would, in verse 8, that you would act justly, that you would love faithfulness, that you would walk humbly with the Lord your God. I've told you what to do, so do that, is the word of the Lord for us. But God is addressing something in this nation that he does not want us to miss. This is not just a verse for us to put on coffee cups and a verse for us to memorize. This is a verse for us not to simply have in our head. This is a verse for us to have written on our hearts. That we would act justly, love faithfulness, and walk humbly with the Lord our God. And the reason that God is pointing this out is because the people of Israel had not been doing that. Micah is making clear that the God that we meet in the Bible hates various things. What a strong word, the word hate. But the God that we meet in the Bible, known as Yahweh in the Old Testament, he hates unkindness. He hates idolatry, he hates injustice, and he hates empty ritual in the people of Israel. And that's all well and good, Pastor. I can hear you say that, but here's the truth. The same God that we meet in Scripture who hates those things in Israel, he hates unkindness, he hates idolatry, he hates injustice, and he hates empty ritual in each and every one of us. God is dissatisfied with our misplaced devotion. God is dissatisfied when our hearts and minds are fixated and focused on things other than Him. And the way that we interact with others is shaped by anything other than Him. So what decisions do you and do I need to make to remove those things from our lives? Is there a quick fix? Is there a simple solution? The word resolve means to deal with successfully. To move from disagreement about thoughts and actions to an agreement regarding them. To make a serious decision to do something. Micah is a prophet. He is someone who speaks on behalf of the Lord to the people. He is prophesied during the 8th century. And his contemporaries were a man named Hosea and a man named Isaiah. He was writing to God's entire nation. Both Israel and Judah. The northern and southern kingdoms. To warn them that judgment was coming. And to offer pardon to each and every person who repents. So when we look at this text, we see that it breaks down wicka wicka a little bit like this. There is God's case against the nation of Israel. We see that in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. We see, after we notice God's case, we see our crime against God. We see that in verses 3 through 7. 
And finally, we see this God's command. But to understand the depth of God's command, we need to notice why he's commanding that. So look at me in chapter 6 of Micah. Now listen to what the Lord is saying. Rise and plead your case before the mountains. And let the hills hear your complaint. Micah is using a type of language to, to convey... The only jury that God can summon to himself is allegorical because the only things that have been around anywhere near as long as the God that we see in Scripture has are the mountains and the hills that he's created. He says this in verse 2, Listen to the Lord's lawsuit, you mountains and you enduring foundations of the earth, because the Lord has a case against his people. And he will argue it against Israel. You are unjust. You are unkind. You do not care about the things that I care about. You are full of empty ritual and injustice. You are unlike me. God pointing these things out. God letting the people of Israel know how they have missed him. And when we read through Micah, there are two things at work and they they interplay. They're compatible with one another. One is, as you read through the entirety of the book of Micah, and really in all of the Old Testament prophets, you see two things at play. You see that there is a necessity for divine judgment. The sin, the wickedness of the people, not just the people of the Bible, but the people who were in this room. Judgment is necessary. Yet Yahweh desires to bless his people. God wants to bless you. God wants to meet with you. We see this balance found throughout the fullness of Scripture. However, we see this balance found completely in one place in particular. That God would want to delve out divine justice and that God would bless his people. There is a place where these these things come together. That is on the cross of Calvary. Where God deals with sin and justly through judgment. And God blesses his people as a result. We notice in this text that there's this balance that's here. It's the story of the cross. It's a constant tension when we read through the scriptures between the two. Because God wants to bring his people. Not only the people from the Old Testament, but the people who sit in this room this morning. God wants to bring his people to a place where we grasp the depths of his blessing for us. Not taking for granted all of the good things he has done for us. Not missing that he has offered us life and breath and everything else. Simultaneously, God wants to bring each and every one of us to that exact same place. So the case that God has against Israel is based in this courtroom scenario. Looking and saying to the mountains and the hills, I want you to be the jury as I deal with my people. Verse 3, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? God is saying... When I look at the way that you respond to the commands that I've given you, it's almost as if my presence is bothersome to you. It is as if my faithfulness to you is problematic for you. 
It's almost as if the commands that I've directed you with for your good cause chaos and frustration in your heart toward me. God then goes to give us examples of the things that he's done for the nation of Israel. And he points out that the crime of the nation of Israel and the crime of the nation of Judah and the crime on the hearts of each and every one of us is that we would miss God. That we would miss God fully. We would miss his presence and his deliverance in every single place. That we would not notice that God is just as much in the mundane as he is the miraculous. That we would have forgotten that there is a God in the Bible and that he, ex- and he is a God of all things living at, throughout the world. That we have missed that this God is faithful to you and he is faithful to me as someone who belongs to him. And he was faithful to the nation of Israel. He runs through a list in this passage. But he keeps asking an important question throughout the entirety of the text. What? Moms and dads, we know what, right? You give a direction. You, you, you give an example. You give an explanation. Because your child has been uh, tick-tocking on their phone. They, they don't hear the entirety of what you said. And they just say, what? Wives, you know this because you've dealt with your husband. As he's attempting to watch something on television. And you give him the list of things that you would like for him to accomplish. And then he says, I'm sorry, honey, what did you say? Does that not happen in Alabaster? What? Four times in this text we see this question of God. What? 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 Intentionally calling for the attention of a people who have disregarded him. What? 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 Verse 3. This is the crime of the people. This is the crime that they believe that God has committed against them. But in actuality they have committed against him. My people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Test against me. Indeed, I brought you up from the land of Egypt. We spent some time in that text on our opening night together. Or yesterday morning, rather. And redeemed you from the place of slavery. Do you know what I've done to you? I delivered you from captivity. That's what I've done. Not only did I deliver you, I gave you people to guide you. I gave you Aaron. I gave you Miriam. I gave you Moses. That's what I provided. My people, remember what the king of Balak of, of Moab proposed. Moab was this terrible place where they hated the God that we see in Scripture. They, uh, they were led by people who disregarded the God that we see. They were against our God. They were an unhealthy people, a sinister people when we read through the scriptures. As a matter of fact, God tells the nation of Israel to wipe them out multiple times. They had a plan against Israel. Balak calls a man named Balaam. Balaam is a cross between a sorcerer and a bounty hunter. It's like the Mandalorian got Jedi powers. And Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. He sends Balaam to wipe out the people of Israel. And God stops that through a donkey that talks. What happened from the Acacia Grove to Gilgal so that you may acknowledge the Lord's righteous acts? God over and over saying to these people, You are frustrated with me because I have been faithful to you. 
We can read that or we can wear it. Well, I'm not frustrated with God. The people of Israel did not realize they were frustrated with God either. They were going through the motions of their ritual religion, their empty religion. Their... And in so doing, they were unjust and unkind. Unjust and unkind. They were unlike the God that we meet in Scripture. They were going through the motion of religious devotion, yet missing the God to whom they said that religion was devoted. What about you? What about me? What about our hearts? Attitude toward the God that we see in scriptures. God is faithful. Delivering his people. Simultaneously calling us back to the place where we see the necessity of our deliverance. Because judgment should be cast on us. And it was cast on his son in our place. God reminded the nation of his Israel of his faithfulness, even though they were regularly faithless. But here's what I love, and I don't want us to miss this. God is more faithful to you than you can ever be faithless. His faithfulness is enduring from generation to generation. It takes me moments to get lost in my own head. Have you thought whether God is faithful to you recently? Do people still use pens? Have you written down where God is faithful to you? Do you have a reminder in your phone of the faithfulness of God? The people of Israel go into this mindset at this point. Because God has just addressed their sin over and over and over and over and over. Sin, 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 sin. And here's what they do. They began to do what any of us do when we have our sin directly pointed out to us. They see the problem because the problem is there. So they begin to course correct. And in an attempt to course correct, they miss God with their offerings to Him. They want to give Him something new because we're always wanting to do something new. But they... Begin to say to God, let's fix this. We'll fix this. So here's what takes place. What should I bring before the Lord when I come to bow before God on high? That's a great question. When I come to God, what should I offer him? The first thing they say is, do you know what we're going to do? We're going to bring you burnt offerings. I was in middle school years ago before the internet. And I remember going into a sepulchre room. And this was before there were this, that axe stuff that we've killed so many plants with. But the boys in the room, polo color, and they would spray it under their armpits, attempting to bring pleasure to whomever they came in contact with. They did not do that in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> the belief that the scent would please people who they interacted with. It, when we read through the Old Testament, we see the idea of this burnt offering. It's the notion that this, that the scent of an animal being burned, that, that it will please the nostrils of a deity. 
We see that in the Old Testament. But their first response is, we'll just do burnt offerings. We'll do better burnt offerings than we did before. We will burn so many burnt offerings. That's not enough, though. Here's what we'll offer you. We'll offer you year-old calves. We'll go get the year-old calves, not the two-year-old calves, because those are calf teenagers. We'll go get the year-old, like filet mignon. God, here's what we're bringing to you. Do you notice what they're doing? Notice the next thing they offer to God. We will bring you thousands of rams. So we have moved from burnt offerings to a baby cow to, a, to thousands of rams. This is escalating quickly. Because they somehow in this are on this hamster wheel running. Trying to please God. But let's not miss this. With things that are already his. This is the equivalent of your child coming to you, handing you your keys and your wallet, and telling you to go buy yourself something really nice. (laughs) All of this is his. Then it gets even bigger. Or with 10,000 streams of oil. Then they say to God, Should I give my firstborn for my transgression? The offspring of my body for my very soul. The beauty of the story of the gospel of Jesus is this. We don't have to offer our firstborn for our sin because God offered his only son for ours. Micah is taking us to a place where we would address the things that are taking really taking place in our hearts. He is undoing our hearts as we realize that the things that we offer to God are just this wheel that we run on if we're not doing them from the place that God has directed us to come at Him from. Verse 8. Mankind, He has told you what is good. And what, is, what it is that the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with the Lord your God. There's some words at play here I don't want us to miss. The term mercy in this passage is the word said. But that word mercy doesn't quite get to what the Old Testament takes us to. Uh, it's also trans, translated loving kindness. You more than likely have heard that. That doesn't get us there either. It's a word that we don't have a comparable word for. It's the idea of self-sacrificial love that is full of loving kindness and faithfulness. It's the idea of putting others before you put yourself. This is the love that God has called us to in this passage. It's the love that we see that many of us recognize in the story of Boaz. He shows a a said love for Ruth. But what we miss is the love that we see that Ruth has for her mother-in-law, Naomi. It's putting someone in front of you, even though that's going to come at great cost to you. God's asked you to do something that he's done for you. He's put himself in a place of sacrifice so that you could respond to him sacrificially. 
The word for justice in this passage is mishpat. It's focused on action. It's a verb almost. Mishpat puts the emphasis on action. Hesed puts it on the attitude of one's heart behind said action. So to read this passage, we see that we, for us, me, you, anyone who claims relationship with Yahweh through the shed blood of Jesus, to walk with God, we must do justice out of merciful love. The term for mercy, like I said, is hesed. So for me and you to walk with God, we do so by actively displaying his self-sacrificial, merciful love to those that we come in contact with. It means that we lift the needs of those that we see above our own because God has lifted my needs and your needs above everything else. He has loved us in that way. They were called to all three of the things in this passage, contrary to what Meatloaf taught so many of us as teenagers. Two out of three ain't bad, is what Meatloaf said. But if we are missing any of this, we've missed all of it. In order for God to shape our conduct, we need to see the root teaching of Scripture. What is getting at? As followers of the Lord God Yahweh, we are to actively do justice out of merciful love. Because we have been invited into a relationship with Yahweh through Jesus, who is the full-scale embodiment of merciful, gracious, unconditional love that acted on behalf of our justice. God at work. Hosea, his contemporary, puts it this way. You must return to the Lord your God, maintain love and justice, and always put your hope in God. Jesus said something similar when we read through Matthew and Mark. To love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. So for you and for me as we wrestle through this passage, because I hope you'll do more than think that you've come to a student weekend where they had a band that played songs that you were unfamiliar with and they had this incredibly attractive speaker and you don't know what to do with it. (laughs) But would we walk away and see the places in our own heart where we are trying to please God with our actions instead of the action of Jesus on the cross? What if we were to start there to see our faith shaped by that? And to see the way that we respond to the needs that are around us. Because there are many. We would respond based on what God has said to us. As we ask ourselves, what should I do in 2021? I would encourage you to do what he has always told you to do. To enact his justice out of merciful love. Because God has enacted justice in a way that was loving toward you. Let's not miss any of this. He has told you, O man, what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you. To act justly, to love kindness and faithfulness, and to walk humbly with the Lord your God. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, in a room like this, we know that there are multiple things at play. One is that there are some who do not have a relationship with you. And Lord, they've never known the the love that you have shown toward us. And God, I would pray that they would see the truth of Scripture. That sin has to be judged. But the hope that you've offered us is that you dealt with that. By blessing your people through the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. 
And if there are those here who do not know you, Lord, I trust this church. I trust all the systems that they have set up so that people can interact with them for the sake of your good gospel. I pray for Pastor Kenneth and Corey as they lead and the rest of their staff. There are those here who do not know you, Lord. I pray that they would respond. And even now, maybe ask a friend to share with them what your gospel is. But Lord, what we may not realize, and what I don't realize at times, is that the bulk of the people in this room claim to know you. If you're showing at church during a pandemic... There's some idea of a relationship with you that's more than likely present. So would you use your word as a scalpel on our hearts and show us how to do justice out of your merciful love as we interact with everything that surrounds us. 